So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life. The only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details. Welcome, everybody, to this Thursday edition of Everyday Connection. I'm Rick O'Shields, and over here to my left, I have Jean Victoria Norlock. How are you, Jean? I'm good, but I'm wondering how I'm how I'm to your left. Well, are you standing with your right shoulder facing north, or no? no. That would be facing south. Yeah, I'm sitting with my right shoulder. Facing south, actually. So I actually am to your left. You are. Well, that's fascinating. And I always seem to visualize you that way. <laughs> like on the TV show version, you know, you're on the couch on the left, and I'm on the in a chair on the right. Where are we putting the guest? We trap them in between us, so they can't get away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, love that, that. That way, when we make Barbara Walters cry, you know, she can't. We'll have to get the Kleenex for her. Are you going to stick him in front of the fireplace or between us and the fireplace so that if it, you know, we need to add more wood, you can send the guest? Yeah. Stoke the fire? Oh, yeah, that's part of the deal. All you don't right. keep the fire going, you're off. That's it. You're no, out of here. No return performance. <laughs> well, we'd like to take just a brief moment mention mention our sponsors. Uh, I'd love to do it at the break time, but as uh, Jane pointed out to me a moment ago, I haven't recorded the sponsorship thing. <laughs> Uh, we're actually thinking about new theme music because it's so, um, hi, welcome. And, and I'm trying to be a little bit more casual <laughs> with the title. And uh, Eventually, we're going to get him out of his suit. But that thumping theme music we've got, I just, oh, hi. Well, it's wonderful theme music. It's, it's just beautiful. very, it fits, it fits yeah. beautifully with the way I read it in, you know, <laughs> when we started. But I guess I was nervous or I don't know what, but. Or taking some, something a little too seriously. Yeah, it just doesn't fit the mood of the show. You know? Not at all. Not at all. Not but, you know, I mean... It, if ever. <laughs> anyway. So so we are going to... Yeah, we will have a, a an actual recorded announcement for sponsors. But in the meantime, we'll give a shout-out to... Uh, our friends and family over at Inner Child. You can find the, uh, these guys at a central hub, www.iaminnerchild.com. Dot com, and it'll let you link to all the different things they're doing because we can't hardly keep track of how fast they add stuff over there. They're in publishing, and, and they have a social network that's just one of the most love and light-filled places that you can go on the Internet. The and magazine, the, magazine, the radio, radio show, show, the goodness. poetry, the... Uh, I lost track. Multimedia Empire, <laughs> run by some guy... 
that some guy named just Bill. Just Bill. Yeah, yeah. No, just Bill. Absolutely. And uh, and our dear friend Inez Martins, yes. who is also now a regular contributor, at least for the time being, to Everyday Connection, and we hope for a long time to come. We have fun with Inez. Yes, for those of you who love her, um, you'll be seeing her once a month on the show so that she can answer your questions either about um, love, life, or, or your animals. Because she does it all. She does it all, and you can find her at www.inezmartens.com or uh, www.visionarylifeconsultant.com. Absolutely. Now, we so, have somebody on the show tonight that's going to be um, very entertaining for Rick because he's uh, a mutual fan of uh, Bucky Fuller. And um, entertaining for me because he's actually right around the corner from where I live. Well, um, and you're a bit of a fan of Bucky's as well. I am a huge I was, fan. A bit. Was, I'm a huge fan of Buckminster Fuller. I remember the first I time I leave saw that out. him. Yeah, the first time I saw any of his stuff was when the first time I ever went out anywhere with um, my love that I now live with and his daughter, and we went somewhere as a family, and it was to the um, to the environment museum and so they've dedicated a room to Bucky because he actually designed the dome I believe and um, I I was just fascinated he was so ahead of his time like so ridiculously ahead of his time Um, I was fascinated by everything he had created and I was like why aren't we doing this you know (laughs) I'm looking at this room full of stuff that's brilliant and it's been around for ages. These designs and these ideas have been around for ages. And I'm just like, why haven't we done this yet? I don't understand. So hopefully um, Peter can can talk to us about that because... Um, because you want to do it. Well, Bucky's life was fascinating. and But like I said, he was ahead of his time. And maybe yeah. people just weren't ready for it. So let's bring that back and, and reintroduce Bucky. And people are ready for it now. Yeah. So Absolutely. our guest... Our guest tonight is Peter Kettenbeel. Hi, Peter. Hi, good evening. How are you? I'm very fine, and since you were talking about the biosphere, that's the dome that you were referring to. The yes, geometry sir. in that structure represents the energetical geometry on a micro scale of our planet. Because Buckminster Fuller, in his last two books, Synergetics One and Synergetics Two, wanted to show humanity how form stays in form. In other words, how the planet holds together and why it just doesn't fly apart and go everywhere in space. And so the planet is held together by that energetical geometry, which is symbolized in the biosphere here in Montreal. It's actually the, the geometry of the planet Earth. And if if you are standing on the fourth deck of that structure and looking out at the interconnecting nodes you'll see that there is a direct link between historical sacred geometry and the geometry the energetical geometry that Buckminster Fuller shows in the biosphere here in Montreal it, it's very cool Rick you'll have to get down here to visit it someday it, it actually is a physical representation of what the grid is the grid that people the talk energetic about. Energetic grid, yeah. Energetic grid that people are talking about, working with all the time, holding the grid, hold the, you know, fire um, the grid, fire the grid, the grid, heal the grid. 
Bucky took that and, and, you know, said, here's what it looks like for those of you who can't quite understand or visualize it, which is really cool. Um, so before we get more into that, I have to ask you mm-hmm. our first question, uh, which is, who the hell are you, Peter, and what do you do? <laughs> well, I work in renewable energy, and I work also very specifically up here in what we call net zero energy design. That is working in the design of buildings and communities that consume less energy than they export. In other words, than they create. And that energy can be created by harvesting solar energy. It can be created by burning uh, wood waste and high-calorie grasses in pellet form. It can be created by wind it can be created by making a combination of ground source heat pumps, what we call geothermy up here in Canada, geothermal, low-grade geothermal, and combining that with passive and active solar. And so basically that's what we do. We optimize all of the different technologies that Buckminster Fuller spent his lifetime exploring, and we put them together in recipes with the quickest payback possible. And we also weave into that edible permaculture landscaping because food is a very big part of net zero energy design. And uh, if you can grow a lot of your own food instead of just having grass on your home landscape, you can reduce a lot of your energy consumption as well because there's a whole lot of energy involved in the production and transport of food, especially if it's coming from chemical agriculture and pesticide agriculture. So that's basically what I'm doing these days. So basically you hang out in the energy that we're trying to make a movie about. (laughs) Sustainability. Sustainability, because we like that topic. It's fun. How did you get into that? Well, it... It was probably, you might say, the fault of Buckminster Fuller because uh, by a sequence of of serendipity, I ended up in Florence, Italy with Buckminster Fuller and people from all over the world for the re-inauguration of the Second Renaissance in Florence. And during that conference, which lasted about 14 days, almost two weeks, Buckminster Fuller gave his entire life's work in daily workshops, in other words, from the very beginning of his research right up to where he was in 1978. Wow. And I would have never imagined, you know, because I ended up there strictly by a sequence of serendipitous coincidences. And so basically that's probably what really got me on the path of working in renewable energies and net zero energy design eventually, because back in the... In the 70s and 80s, we didn't use the expression net zero energy design. That's a more recent phrase that we use to describe. You know, Emery Lovins would call it negawatting, you know. But uh, so we'll blame it on Bucky. All right. That's awesome. I'm very, very passionate about Buckminster Fuller's work because humanity has been channeling so much of our wealth, our gross national products into what Buckminster Fuller Fuller called 99% predictable negative results. In other words, if you're putting your money 
the, and all the taxes that all the regular people are paying into armaments and making war, you're not really getting long-term positive, productive results for the very people who are working every day to produce that money energy to pay for the budget for all the warfare. So that's why Buckminster Fuller was completely obsessed with replacing armaments with livingry. In other words, focusing human attention and human gross national products on creating infrastructure, housing, educational programs for human beings in every country on the earth. Well, a really well, interesting... We, um... Oh, I'm sorry. I, I was going to say, we we like to mention... Uh, to our listeners often that they vote every day with every dollar they spend on how they'd like tomorrow to be. Mm-hmm. And we were having um, a discussion about that a couple of days ago. I can't remember who I was having a discussion with, but do you think that if the terms of the people who are in office were longer, then there would be a reduction in this overspending it was we were talking about roads because there's there's short-term solutions to roads and to to the problems in Montreal we all know we have a ton of problems with our roads and I'm sure we're not the only major city in the world that has that problem but there's other cities that have invested the initial higher funds and then their roads have lasted longer but because our people in power are in time term for such a short time and they're always thinking about this, you know, this next election. So they're trying to cut costs. Do you think that might be part of the problem? I, I think the problem is is inert within the society. That it, I don't think it would really change if you had people, let's say, elected for eight-year terms instead of four-year terms. Because the problem is a problem that relates to human awareness and education. Because in societies that are very well educated, the amount of criminality and uh, abuse is much less. Right now we're going through a kind of a catharsis here in Quebec because we're doing investigations into the construction industry, and that's the road construction industry as well. And a lot of times what happens when you're building roads is that the engineers make very good specifications, but the contractors, instead of making the roads to spec, they cut corners. And so instead of putting four inches of asphalt, they only put uh, three. And when you multiply that on many kilometers of roadway, that's a a lot of money. And so what happens is the road falls apart much more quickly. So, and that's the same. The same is true in in buildings. It's the same in true in 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 the construction industry. So we're going through this big public inquiry now in Quebec, the, what they call the Charbonneau inquiry. So that's part of the educational process as well, so that people will become educated. They will become more uh, involved in assuring that the taxes that they pay are well spent, and that there's a lot of checks and balances within the system to discourage graft. So it's education, education, and more education. And basically, you've got 
a whole lot of education going on right now on on the internet and it's incredible because everything that was once hidden is now being put into the open so we're we're living in that time where the hidden what was ex- esoteric is becoming exoteric all the dirty laundry is hanging out on the line <laughs> and that's, that's what I was going to say about education. I mean, it's no longer about sitting there waiting for the education that's given to you. It's about actually going out and self-educating. Exactly. Because the information's there, it's available, but you have to go after it. Well, any very intelligent 16-year-old child, male or female, can right now go to post-doctorate level knowledge immediately they don't have to wait and go through the system because if if someone shows them in fact they don't even have to have someone show them they'll find themselves they'll find their way through google and through all the search engines on the internet they can go right away to post doctoral level research they can have the equivalent of a a doctorate within within a couple years on their own without even going to the university and of course buckminster fuller predicted this you know, he predicted that this time would come to pass on the earth where the sum total of human knowledge would be available to all human beings. And in other words, that, that, that education as a process would become completely decentralized, and that's happening. And it's a lovely thing. It's oh, it's a beautiful thing. thing. Yeah. Beautiful thing. And uh, part of what we're doing with the movie is uh, that we're project that we're beginning is to try to focus attention on things that work as opposed to well look at this they've messed this up it's, you know that's it's that awareness is important but then dwelling on it's a bit stale and and Buckminster was like that he wanted to show people things that worked right oh absolutely and a very patient fellow. I don't know that I could have an epitaph like "Call me Trim Tab." <laughs> but I think you should explain. Uh, one of us should explain to to the audience what is a Trim Tab because it's what is important. Trim Tab. I, I would love I would love for you to explain. You know, because you you have a clear idea, I think, of what Bucky meant precisely with that. I well, think I do, but I'd love to hear you describe it. Well. If if all everyone out there in the audience can imagine this huge oil tanker with a very large rudder on the back of it which turns the ship, beneath that big rudder is a very tiny little miniature rudder. And when the captain wants to turn that huge ship, he turns rudder first and that creates a vortex. It creates a whirlpool. And that whirlpool starts and it catches the big rudder and turns the big rudder, which turns the entire ship. And Buckminster Fuller said, call me Trim Tab, because he said that any person, male or female, in any culture on Spaceship Earth can change the entire course, the entire direction of society. They can turn the entire society just by being that trim tab, just by making the right move and creating that whirlpool of change which gathers momentum 
and turns the entire ship of society. So that's basically why he said, call me Trimtab. And, of course, this is the year of the power of one. So everyone out there can become a Trimtab. And a whole bunch of Trimtabs equals a great big rudder and a, and a sharp turn. Yeah, and a very accelerated change in society. And uh, and I think we're seeing that. It, lots of things are just surprising me, almost. Uh, got an uh, article I saw yesterday. The Hyatt Hotel chain, of all people, uh, has dedicated to a sustainable supply chain and buying local, and they have signed a contract with a third-party agency to hold them responsible to what they say they're going to do. And I don't remember the last time somebody like Hyatt Hotels did that. They might say they were going to do something, but sign a contract with a uh, a disinterested third party to audit them and hold them to it? Nice. Yeah, it's a very positive example to make. And there's so many corporations now that are actually competing to become more sustainable than, than their competition, which is a very good thing. It's a very positive thing. It's the very positive side of entrepreneurial corporate life because there is a very positive side. You know, it's not all a bunch of, you know, Wall Street uh, fractional banks. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's it's a wonderful example of, of supply and demand and of the power of the dollar. People are quite frankly are demanding that companies be more responsible. And they're showing, they're proving because right now organics and and eco-friendly products are more expensive than what you'd find in the average store, but companies are quickly quickly realizing and tuning into the fact that this is what people are wanting to buy. So they're accommodating and that's that power of power of the individual dollar that when you decide where your money goes and you are careful with who you spend your money on and how you spend your money, the the big guys get it. Why? Because they're human beings too. This idea of us versus them it's just it doesn't work anymore. Well, one thing you you could do for your your movie is to uh, ask Christopher Zeloff to open the door at the United Nations Foundation in New York City because he's got some good connections there. Because the program of the UN Foundation is titled Sustainable Energy for All. And the goal of that program is to make renewable sustainable, long-term, low environmental footprint energy available to every village on Spaceship Earth. And so there's a huge amount of of funding behind this. And of course... Can can you email me that info? Of course. But but it's important for the audience to know that Ted Turner a billion dollars to the UN Foundation. And there's been a lot of other big donors to that foundation. And there's a lot of very good programs. But that that one really catches my attention because that one has the potential to have a big effect on accelerating change and reducing the human footprint on our planet. 
energetically speaking, in terms of energy. Because it's very important, you know, Buckminster Fuller did a book in 1974 called Energy, Earth, and Everyone, where they did an inventory of all of the sources of renewable energy that the universe and our solar system and our planet, by the way the planet operates, was providing to us, and all we had to do was invent the equipment to harness it, harness it and channel it. So basically we've pretty much got all that equipment now. And what the UN Foundation wants to do with the program Sustainable Energy for All is to speed up getting it designed and implemented. So I think it would be fun. So I'll be happy to send that to you. But you might get some funding for your film out of there. You might give it a try. It's it's not just about the funding, though. I'm interested in, um, you know, anybody from governmental representation or anybody who could represent government's views on that, I'd love to get them on film. You know yeah, what I mean? get them in the chair and ask them. I'd like to get them in the chair you. and talk to them <laughs> and, and see what their perceptions are of this, just like I would like to get, you know, Dr. David Suzuki in a chair and say, okay, dude, here's what you were doing 20 years ago. Here's what you're doing now. How how has it changed? You know, oh, like, just, what are you oh, thinking oh, now? Oh, he, he spoke in Montreal last Saturday. I <laughs> just made a, um, a big essay on the failure of environmentalism. You, you next time you go to one of those functions, you have to swing by my house and pick me up because I don't have a vehicle. So. <laughs> yeah, but you're very close to the metro. I am very close to the metro. That's true. You can. You, it's, we have a tremendous, a very good transportation system on the South Shore and on the island of Montreal. Yeah, you can even take um, you can even take a ferry at this time of year and bike. And there's a there's a petition right now moving all across Quebec to promote a fully electric renewable energy charged monorail system that will connect all the regions of Quebec and will connect into Montreal and eventually connect uh, to Toronto, but it'll start in Quebec. That's very exciting. And, you know, we have all the technology to do that monorail system. And if you Google it, you know, you can look at it. It's a really, really, really nice system. But we're 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 about twenty years behind where we actually should be. Because we should already have three quarters of the vehicles in Montreal should be electrical. I'm talking about delivery vehicles as well as cars. And we should have seventy five percent less smog than we have. Because we've had the technology to do it for many, many years. We just haven't done it quickly enough. So now as we switch over, we're going to, if we want to reduce the health effects on infants and the elderly, the bad effects of smog, we have to move more quickly into the electrification of our transport. So why do you think we didn't do it? Was it a greed issue? Was it complacency? Was it just a misunderstanding of how important it was for us to make these changes? It was a, in my opinion, it was a, a natural business reaction to slow down the implementation of innovative technology. If you watch Who Killed the Electrical Car once, twice, three times, by the time you watch it for the fourth time, the whole thing starts to sink in. And you realize, by watching the documentary four times, that really... This was an orchestrated show, and this was all a, a dog and pony show. 
And so we had, the big automakers had all the electrical vehicles, they had all the technology, but they were just convinced to slow it down, its entry. So the health cost of that has been horrendous. You know, when you look at the amount of of disease and and lung problems that's caused by smog unnecessarily, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's crazy. Oh, it is. It's insane. But uh, people... People need to realize it's it's comfortable to have things stay the same. And innovation is, by its very nature, disruptive. It disrupts what's going on now. It's Bucky's famous, you make something better so the old one's obsolete. Well, all the people working for the old one get freaked out that they're going to be useless. Yep. And uh, particularly the these boards of directors whose sole responsibility we need to always remember is to maximize the return for their shareholders. That's what it says in their corporate charter. It usually doesn't say anything about the environment or earth or people, you know, <laughs> dollars. And the this fictitious thing, shareholder, you know. And, uh, I mean, people do hold shares, but the corporation doesn't think of them as people. They're just... Uh, a survey. <clears throat> Sorry, I just had to throw that in because people get, oh, if we did that, what would we, you know, my cousin Bill loses his job. It's all right. We have plenty of jobs. We've lost all kind of stuff technologically that's been replaced. And it didn't cause unemployment. It usually employed more people in the end. I just don't understand the irony of being in the middle of an industrial revolution and yet not wanting to initiate innovative ideas. Yeah, it's, uh, it's because that's what got us here. It's totally contradictory, is it not? You know, when they put together steam-powered mills and sort of stuff, the guy that was doing it by hand or with a mule, he, he probably didn't like that. But it... it was innovation, so we went with it, and then somewhere we quit going with it. Everything stay the same. Well, and there's tremendous power in the oil business. I I must say they it, they don't show it off here in the states as often as in other countries. They'll go in and wipe out a city, create a city that they just act like nobody matters. Well, if you've got the equipment, you're going to use it. It's normal. I mean, it's it's normal corporate human behavior. Yeah. You know, it's like right now in Canada, there's a huge debate, and David Suzuki's in the middle of it. There's a huge debate going on on deep water drilling in the Arctic. Because if we have a Gulf incident like the BP incident in the Gulf of Mexico, and we have it in cold Arctic waters, the cleanup scenario is going to be a whole lot different. And the long-term effects on the ecology and the food chain up there are going to be horrendous. Well, but, aren't they saying that there would be no cleanup scenario? Well, If they had a spill up there, it would be... Well, probably that they there, don't have a plan. To deal with it. It's just it, it's much more complicated. So what I'm saying is that they have all of the drilling equipment. So if you've got all of the drilling platforms and you've got all of the equipment... You're going to use it. You're not going to just leave it sitting there. 
you know, and if you look at the shale gas exploitation and how the shale gas exploitation moved up from the south west in the United States and moved up through Pennsylvania up into northern New York and now up into Canada here in Quebec, um, it's the same thing again because you had all of that drilling equipment that was just sitting around in fields, you know, and it wasn't being used. So they said, oh, boy, well, let's start using shale gas. <laughs> so, I mean, that's the way it is. And uh, it's just, a, you know, it's important for the the average person to realize that. So if you're the average farmer or the person living in the country off the land and you wake up one morning and there's a 150-foot-high shale gas drilling rig drilling across the road from you, and it's 95% likely that they're going to screw up your water for your lifetime. You better be aware of why they're doing it. And one of the reasons why they're doing it is because they have the equipment, and it's there, and they just wanted to find a new way to use it. And it's the same thing with deep water drilling. If you've got the deep water rigs and you're using them further south on the planet, obviously, with climate change, if you can bring those rigs up north into an ice-free environment or semi-ice-free, you're going to use it. You're going to do it. But the the question is, should we move more quickly and put money into renewable energies which don't have such devastating effects if something goes wrong? But there's a huge debate going on right now in Quebec about shale gas exploitation. People are very, very upset over... Over 25,000 people have signed the petition, people that live in the countryside. Well, and that's what's going to do it, because this voting with your dollars thing. Uh, you, you mentioned earlier that electing politicians for longer probably wouldn't change anything because it's in the, it's in the society, the community. As long as we demand as a whole disposable bottles of this and disposable that and disposable the other thing because we don't want to have to wait for it to get repaired. We don't want to have to whatever. Uh, that's what the corporations are going to produce. Well, I was in today, I spent the day in one of Quebec's most successful corporations. Not that big of one, but it's a, it's a big enough one. And they recycle over 95%. And they really bent over back, backwards to reduce their environmental footprint. And, you know, there's a lot of very positive things that have happened in the past 20 years that we need to be aware of and also need to be proud of because there's a lot of very good corporate citizens out there. There really are. And the sky's the limit. In other words, that if it keeps going like the Hyatts, you know, with their hotel chain and everybody starts competing to see who can be the greenest of the green, you know, things are going to change even more quickly. And we've seen a lot of good things happen in the past 20 years. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it can be a snowball effect because they will. You know, everybody's, we've got the best beds, we've got the best pillows, we got the, okay, we got the greenest thing. Uh, and it is becoming a buzzword and uh, corporate executives are feeling the pressure. From the cons- the consumer, yeah, 
because it's the consumer that has the power. It's the consumer that spends the dollars. And this, uh, you know, where Occupy has kind of changed from hanging out in the streets to going and showing up at government board meetings and community me- government meetings, and that's that's where it, that's where it changes, and it's a, it's an amazing wave to watch. Well, again, you know, the good side and the best side of the Occupy has been the educational side, and you've really got to give it give the credit where credit is due to Foster Gamble, because coming out of a family of you know, in a founding family of one of the United States' largest corporations, Procter and Gamble, you know, he spent that money out of his legacy to create an educational film to really demystify the fractional banking system, and that's pretty pretty noble of him to do that. <laughs> so oh, I think so. The, the Occupy movement is all about zeitgeist. It's all about thrive. It's all about Buckminster, Buckminster Fuller spent 50 years of his life studying the financial system and the military-industrial complex. And he did not publish the result of his 50 years of research until the last 10 years before he passed. And his last book, which is only 90 pages long, is called The Grunch of Giants. And you can read it for free online. Just go to BFI and Google Grunch of Giants, Bucky, BFI, and you can everyone out there that's listening can, can read it. It won't take you long. It's only 90 pages. But believe me, it's very clear. You know, it's very, very clear. And so, you know, there's been a lot of, of work that was based on other people's work. Like a lot of the stuff that's in Thrive was based on a lot of Buckminster Fuller and other people's research. And everyone builds upon the work of other people. We're living in a great time. The power of one. We are indeed. It's fascinating times that we're living in. We're going to probably, we should take a quick break. And then when we come back, and then when we come back, I'd like to talk about what your vision is of the next couple of years. Because you're right in the middle of this. So I'd love to, I'd love to get your get your perception of where we're going. I'd love to share it with you. Perfect. Lovely. So shall we earth prayer or I think tonight is a perfect night for earth prayer. I think Absolutely. so. We're talking about getting along with her better. <laughs> her, it, as you wish. Her. So uh, I like I, her. Yes, absolutely. A uh, a living system, if ever there was one. So, whether you want to look at it scientifically or spiritually, kind of. Um, so this is from our dear friend Ina V at uh, Ina V dot com called Earth Prayer, and uh, go check out her website and the Earth Prayer Project. She's doing some wonderful stuff. We'll be back in about five minutes. Stay with us, folks.
sound as choppy out there as it sounded in here. <laughs> so it was a little rough around the edges. It was a little rough around the edges over here, which, you know, uh, so just makes case, me kind of pouty because, yeah. you know, I love that song, but that's okay. I'll play it tonight. I have it on my computer. <laughs> just in case it was sounding, you know, like nails on a chalkboard for you, we are back again. We are back again. Um, and if you if you want to hear the full song, if you didn't get a chance to hear it tonight, Stop by NV's website at NV.com. Um, like Rick said, check out the Earth Prayer Project and buy the song because the money for the song, it's not really expensive. I think it's only $0.99 cents, um, for the song. The money for the song goes to support um, environmental projects. So check that out. Absolutely. It's E-N-A-V, that's E-N-A-V-I-E.com. The sound of silence. Sound of silence. See, Captain says it was clear. Thank yeah, you. It, I don't know why it does. It it sounds like the in the old days the cassette machine was eating the tape over here. <laughs> totally I mean, sounds wow. And but I'm glad that for our listeners it it, it did sound good. That's awesome because you know it, it's such a magical song yeah. with magical energy. So so after the show you can run over to the website. Links in the chat room. And hear the whole song. Absolutely. All right. So, Peter, Peter I... Rick, have you ever done the sweat lodge theorem? Have I ever done a sweat lodge? Yeah. No, I haven't. I've I never... I just do it one time. Never, uh, never really had the opportunity, but there is a lady that I have met online that uh, about uh, right on the other, one of the other suburbs of Houston... Uh, has a spot and they do sweat lodges, so I might check that out. It's a, a, a fantastic experience. I participated in, in a group, what we call a, an intertribal lodge, which had most of the uh, First Nations communities represented in most of our lodges, and we even had Lakota Sioux coming up here to 
to have sweat lodge with us. And we were doing them on the Odenak, the Abenaki Reserve here, just between here and Quebec City. We were also doing it on the Mohawk Kanasataki Reserve on one of the small mountains north of Montreal. But it's a very beautiful ceremony because it's a ceremony of reconciliation of you to yourself, to the Earth Mother, to your fellow members of the, who are sharing the lodge with you at the time you're doing the ceremony, and to the universe. And it's a very, very powerful ceremony. Oh, I I should imagine it is particularly you know how awesome is that to be able to uh, get the genuine experience. I know, Gene, you salivating over there, yeah. Uh, well, I'm just I'm just I I'm going back to um, my first experience with the sunrise ceremony and, and a powwow. I haven't done a sweat lodge and I haven't um, been blessed to spend a great deal of time um, learning about my ancestry, but. My first experience at a powwow and the sunrise ceremony um, for the G8 summit, I think it was, or G20, whatever it was last year that was in Huntsville, um, it was uh, it was magical. It was absolutely magical. It was this a beautiful experience of sharing where there were prayers to the earth and to Grandfather Spirit, and they recognized um, all the different names from all the different belief systems because um, they had invited, it was it was an open invite ceremony, um, so they invited, you know, all those people. And then they, they did a whole round of, of passing um, the, the tobacco and, and breathing in the fumes and then doing a prayer for prayer for our planet and our people, um, meaning the human race. And it was the change on people's faces who had never been to something like that. You could tell when they were coming in that they were hesitant. They were almost fearful of this experience. And you could see literally the changes in the faces as, as this was being passed around and as the prayers continued to be spoken by each individual there was this sense of peace that was and calm that was coming over these their faces and it was uh, it was just so so awesome to be a part of so i i can't even imagine what a sweat lodge must be like so yes i'm salivating just a little bit <laughs> a little bit all ceremony is created to remind us of who we are and where we are okay so the first thing that you do when you're going to do a lodge of course is you build your tonka teepee, you build your womb, which within you're going to hold the lodge, and you weave together sapling branches that you're going to put the blankets on, and you make the door to the lodge. Then you make the fire pit in front of the lodge, and most lodges open facing east. And you collect the stones so that in, in each of the people in the lodge, hopefully, each person will get a chance to pick up the stones. If not, just a couple of the people will, will do it. But then you put four flags, one red, one black, one white, and one yellow, representing the four directions and representing the four root races on the earth. So actually when the stones are heated and the fire keeper brings the first four stones into the lodge, you're honoring the four directions, the four root races of the planet, 
And then you're going into that ceremony with the spirit of entering into the womb of your Earth Mother. And, of course, the heated stones represent the center of our Earth Mother's body. And, of course, pouring of the water upon the stones is another very, very powerful symbolic part of the ceremony. And, of course, the pipe is passed in, in the, uh, during the ceremony. And each person says their particular prayer that they wish to make, holding the bowl of the pipe to their heart and the stem to the stars. So it's a, it's a wonderful thing, but it's, it's, it's highly symbolic. And it's like any other ceremony that you do or on any blessing that you do. The more you do it, the more doors open to you. It's like um, it's like developing your green thumb. The more you talk to your plants, the more you reach out with your energetic energetical field, your own what the Chinese call your chi field. The more you reach out to the plants in your garden, the more they awaken and open up to you. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. And it's the same thing with the sweat lodge. The only other thing I wanted to say is that you know, the First Nations people use sage and sweetgrass to clean the energy field of their bodies. The Chinese uh, do the same kind of thing with chi, with their incense. And of course, in the Orthodox religion, the Christian religion, and in the, the Catholic Christian religion, and even in the Islamic religion, they use different types of incense, like incense, frankincense, and myrrh. They burn it in the ceremonies to cleanse the atmosphere during the ceremony. And in Arabic countries, they actually burn incense in a hotel room. Like when you rent a hotel room, they will call up from the hotel kitchen and they will burn the incense in the room to clear the room, to cleanse it of the occupants' energy that were there before them. It's an interesting because it's all related, you know, it, it all works together. Well, and that that was the thing that came to mind for me when you were talking about the ceremony. Uh, I've I've participated in some stuff in Alaska, and but they were all open, you know, guest things. I was not closely involved, but what strikes me about all of them I've heard about, all of them I've seen, all of them I've participated in is they're heavily based in connection and connectivity something that is kind of missing in modern society you know it, it, it you leave there wouldn't you say Jane with a sense of connection to all the other people no matter where they came from or what tribe or it's it's literally um like stepping into a new world i think we we got there very very early in the morning i had taken my daughter and i wanted um it was a 2 hour drive from where i was living um, I wanted this experience to be as full as it could be, so we got there um, mostly before uh, people had. But of course, the elders uh, and the shaman and the, the the leaders were already there. So it was literally like once you step into this space, there was a sense of connection. It wasn't you left there with a sense of connection. It was you stepped into that energy and you knew you were connected. And nobody had to say anything, you know. I mean, it was just in the morning before, you know, the sun's rising, people are walking around, um, walking around the the center circle where 
they're going to be gathered later, and um, they're just slowly doing this this circle, and and not together, just you know, in pairs and small family groups. And as people are coming in, they you know, and nobody told anybody to do that. It just felt right, you know. They were just doing a pass by of where they would be doing the ceremonies all throughout the day. It was just, it was so natural that the connection was automatic. I, I don't know how else to describe it, is <laughs> is other than to say it was automatic. It was there already. It was a, you just had to step into it. The leaders and shaman were already there. They had cleared the space and set an intention. And I, everybody yeah. could feel it when they came in, I, I'm sure. Yeah, you, you could. You could feel it when you came in. And I think maybe that had a lot to do with some of the the hesitation and fear that you saw in people's eyes um, during the ceremony, I think that they were trying to figure out what that feeling was because maybe it was a feeling that they'd never felt before. Um, I recognized it. I knew what it was, but for somebody who's never been in that kind of situation or had that kind of experience, I imagine it must be a little overwhelming. I imagine it could be. What what is this? <laughs> why but, why why do I feel a connection to the trees, the grass, the sky? The you know where is this intense interest in the clouds coming from? Well, in this convergence, I'd love to hear uh, Peter's opinion on this seeming convergence of technology, science, uh, science, a convergence of science and spirituality, really, uh, with things like quantum physics and the nature of reality. and that it, They don't talk about it a lot, quantum physicists. They call it the dirty little secret, but, you know, they've, they've proven that none of this exists without an observer. So uh, the convergence of science and spirituality and recognition of energetic grids and and interconnectedness, whether it's people or the grid or the... Um, I think that it's going to be a really magical thing if the two can get along together. What uh, I'd love to hear what you think about this convergence of, or seeming convergence, seems to me, of science and spirituality. Well, there there always has been a convergence, and some people have recognized it and some have not. But if you look through everything that Buckminster Fuller ever wrote about Albert Einstein and what he wrote about First Nations persons' intuitive insight, what Chief Seattle is saying in his famous speech with poetry and with First Nations sensitivity is exactly what Albert Einstein is saying with his unified field theory, and it's exactly what Donald Coxeter is saying with his fourth-dimensional infinite geometry. And Buckminster Fuller dedicated his last two summums on sacred geometry. Well, I call it... Bucky wouldn't wouldn't like me using the term sacred geometry, but to me it's impossible to separate the two because geometry is in a certain sense sacred. But, you know, he dedicated his last two books about geometry to Donald Coxeter. And, of course, Donald Coxeter was called The Man Who Saved Geometry. And there was even a documentary film called The Man Who Saved Geometry about Donald Coxer. But 
Coxeter did all of the equations that we take for granted. In other words, when we use the Internet every day and we're sending back on wireless transmitters unlimited quantities of images and text without any other one interfering with the other. And even in a building, an apartment building, you're going to have a thousand people all on different channels on the wireless system, on the on the net, watching movies, doing all these things. And it's all done with light. And it's all done because Coxeter did the mathematics for it. And, of course, Einstein was always working on his unified field. In other words, in quantum physics, that everything is is interconnected. Everything is, it's like the poet said, when, when the poet said, ask not for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. You know, the planet Earth is a closed system. It's a closed system in the biosphere. In other words, with the physical chemistry, the biology of all, everything that's on the face of the planet, but it's also a closed system in terms of light waves. It's in terms of energy. So we are actually living in an action-reaction-result react, scenario where we are really creating the future. We really are from an energetical point of view. And yeah. If we're, if we're destroying the web of life on the planet, we're all equally affected by that destruction. Well, and there's been recent stuff uh, about dramatic international events changing the magnetosphere of the planet when people get focused on something and have a, a, a huge sort of global together moment. And uh, so destroying the web of life is like destroying the energetic grid that holds the whole thing together, isn't it? Yeah. But I think that when when as more and more people awaken and more and more people uh, start consciously resonating the frequency, the higher frequency of love, you're going to see some really big changes. Yeah. Oh. Just to give you an example, if there's a room full of very positive, happy, lovely people and a very negative, aggressive person walks into that room, the last thing that that negative, aggressive person wants to do is stay in that room. They want to get out of there real fast. <laughs> yeah, they sort of they sort of come up and match the vibration and, and, and cheer up or, or ship off. <laughs> That's it. So when you start looking at the whole thing and you start looking at war and mayhem for what it really is, it's the creation of a whole lot of negative food. <laughs> and then you see that there's the possibility to create a whole lot of very positive food and have that very positive food resonating throughout the energetical grid on the planet. And that's what, that's what it comes right down to. And as the room changes and the room becomes more and more loving, more and more empathy, in other words, humanity becomes more empathetic and less aggressive and less competitive, big changes are going to happen real fast. Well, they're, they're, I won't say going to happen. They are happening very fast. Oh, absolutely. We're right. We're right in the middle of it. And uh, as I say, it's so exciting to sort of. I mean, it's fun to play in. I love our the way we play in it with our show and our projects. And, 
but it, it, it's exciting just to sit back and watch these, I mean, things that were a decade ago were unthinkable, you know. And uh, uh, But I think that the, uh, uh, you know, the Internet has been a part and parcel to this whole thing. You you talked about the information that it makes available, and uh, and the universities I think have recognized this because they've started putting their courses online. You don't get credit for it if you do it online, but you can get a little certificate saying you took it online um, because they know stuff's out there and can get credit from some un- universities. However, yeah, you can, and um, but there's also this interconnect, this ability to directly communicate. You know, Skype to Skype with we have guests on the on the show from all over the planet, and uh, we would have had to have network backing to have that kind of connectivity not very long ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, we bring people on from Australia. We, you know, not very long ago that involved private satellite connections and <laughs> great machinations, and and now you just click their face on Skype and hi. And I just, I think it's impossible to take people that know each other and then convince them that they're on opposite sides of something deserving of war. Because they know each other. They're like, no, they don't want to blow us up. He wants to go to the movies with his girlfriend. You know, because you know, you've been talking to him. And so I think that that communication is... Is huge in the in the internet as huge as the information and education it makes available to I think. Well, very soon you're going to see on the internet uh, a website that's going to be very similar to the film The Matrix. Okay, very similar, and it'll be similar in the sense that when visitors to that website arrive, okay, they'll go through a sequence of images, sounds, and insights that when they come out after 15 minutes in there, they're going to be completely changed. And it will. And at the end of that 15 minutes, they will be completely non-manipulable. In other words, the matrix will not be able to manipulate them anymore because they will have seen exactly, but they won't have just seen it with their mind's eye. They will have felt it with their soul's sensitivity. And once you you're free of it. You're free of it because it has no longer has any energetical power over you. Right. You're going to see that. You're going to see that coming because that's coming. And, you know, if you go to Martin Gray's sacred sites, okay, Martin Gray has, with, with his beautiful work that he's done for the past 15 years of photographing and sharing all of the sacred sites on the earth, whether they're Huna sacred sites, whether they're Hindu sacred sites, or Chinese or Tibetan or whatever, you can visit all the sacred sites on the earth on the Internet. Okay, But remember that when you are visiting them, you are actually interacting with them on the light wave frequencies. So you're actually, from a light wave point of view, you're interacting with the sacred sites, which is marvelous. I mean, it's it's, it's fantastic because in, you don't have to go and make the pilgrimage. You know, if you're handicapped, you can make the pilgrimage from from your uh, office through your Apple. It's it is amazing. I've seen one of the 
uh, where they went in and laser scanned the entire interior of an Egyptian tomb. And I had the the uh, blessing to be able to go to Egypt when I was younger. And uh, uh, it was very much, very similar, very much the same as having been there. And uh, and like you say, that is it's amazing. And um, uh, because the it's the energetics of it that you feel when you're there. It's not the stones. I mean, they may be in a right relationship to help you get in that frame of mind, but there is something to this geometry thing. Well, Bucky, on the last day in giving us this vision of the future. And, of course, he resolved everything in the universe using the tetrahedron, the Egyptian tetrahedron. And he said if you draw an energetical line from your navel to your two legs in a tetrahedral position, because of the way we were designed as a piezoelectric multi-lattice crystal, which we are, uh, you can actually travel anywhere in the universe and you can tune any frequency in the universe. That's what he shared with us on the last day. And actually, if you look at that, that really is reality. And when you were in Egypt and you were blessed to be there, the water molecules in your body actually did a download. So if you, you downloaded all that frequency information that was wherever you were in Egypt at that moment. And, and we were designed to be right often read many DVDs. We're walking DVDs. When we hug somebody, depending what our intention is and what our level of sharing is, we're actually sharing information, very similar to what Spock used to do. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, you know, very, very similar to the Vulcan uh, transfer. Very similar. Well, and science is beginning to, to be able to measure this electromagnetic field we generate with our heart more so than our brain. Oh, of course. This spherical field. And so when you hug someone, you're you're right inside each other's field. Exactly. And... Uh, uh, that's why I don't hug politicians, even if they're hugging people. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Maybe they need a hug from you. I think they probably oh, exactly. do need a hug. Isn't and the whole idea is to be well, the happy person in the middle of the grumpy room? It's to offer an energetic alternative. Because people that are thinking that might be a good thing, but are matching the vibration of everybody in the room because that's what's going on, now have an option. <laughs> you don't have to say a word. You, you really don't. You get in alignment, in my opinion, body, mind, spirit, however you want to, many roads to the same spot. But you get in alignment, you walk down the street, you're like a marching band walk, walking down the street. And some people will hear it and want to come march down the street too. And they won't necessarily march with you, but they'll take off marching, making music. <laughs> and... Uh, and I still swear by that smile. You know, I mean, if, if again, I'm going to say it again because I like to say it as many times as I can on this show. If all you can offer to the world is that you can walk down the street with a smile on your face and do that because it, at the very least, you're going to make people wonder what you're happy about. And at least that 
gets them wondering. You know what I mean? So it's um, do that. You don't have to do big things yeah. in this world to Old make a doors. difference. Look at people. Smile at them. Mm-hmm. I've I've been in situations where I've looked somebody square in the eye and smiled at them, and they just it, it it's like nobody did that for ten years. They just forever yeah. changed their whole personality and energetic. Just boom. And uh, I, we have a lot of young listeners with our Booking Younger project, and they mostly hit us on the podcast. I think on their iPods, but. Uh, if you have a wild side to you, smile at strangers just to see their reaction. Yeah, just to see what they'll sometimes do. Sometimes it really weirds them out. <laughs> and and I got to tell you something that will really freak them out because I do it, and it may be a southern guy thing at my age, but uh, particularly when the when somebody's older than me, but not even then, it, I call people sir and ma'am. That's just what I do. And there are people that you know I, oh yes ma'am, and 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 they stop in their tracks like. What? No one said that to me for 10 years. And I do it just to see the reaction. It is. It's It it, it can be comedic, and it's also very uplifting. It's, it's almost shocking to some people when you use sir, ma'am, when you open doors for them, when you give up your seat to either, you know, a pregnant woman or an elderly person. People look at you like... <laughs> What are you doing? Yeah, you um, hold the door it, open and they they suddenly forget how to walk through thresholds. They just it, stand there and look at you. Stand there, look at you and all. Um, but that's that's a good thing, and that's you know that's just you not doing anything other than just being you, um, and you're making an impact. So you know that's something for everybody to keep in mind is that the little the the big changes always start with the little changes at home. Absolutely. You're bringing it down to the the power of one and the little change. But I do want to say something for the the nerd set that might be listening. Yes. Uh, when Rick was when you were talking about hugging and you were talking about heart mapping, there was a person in Florence when Buckminster Fuller gave his entire life's work in 1978 by the name of Dan Winter. And if anyone out there in Radioland wants to follow through on on this energetical field of the heart and the heartbeat, the heartbeat of humans, the heartbeat of the earth, and the connection between the heart pulse of the earth and the heartbeat of humans, just Google Dan Winter and heart mapping, and you can spend a a few days just learning all about it. (laughs) I like to give people the, the opportunity to go further if they want. And that's wonderful. Like we keep saying, the the, the information is out there, um, and and we love it when people help to guide people to it. You know, not to say that this is a truth, but this could be your truth. So you know, there it is. Take what resonates and leave the rest, as we always say. Got don't it. believe anything just because I said it. I don't even believe what I say. <laughs> don't believe everything you think. One of my mentors was. Grandma Twyla Nish, the Seneca Wolf Clan grandmother from uh, the Onondaga area along Lake Erie, the Iroquois Confederation. And when the Dalai Lama came here to Turtle Island, he went and spent two days with Grandma Twyla. But one thing that Grandma Twyla literally, with her lovely way, she beat, browbeat me with it 
which they don't use the word believe. That's for them. For the Iroquois Confederation elders who taught spirituality before the black robes arrived with the book, the idea of being separate from the Creator didn't exist in their vocabulary. didn't exist. It was how could we, as humans walking on Turtle Island, be separate from the Creator? How could we be separate from Grandfather Sun and Grandmother Moon? How? If One didn't even any language for it. Yeah. And so she said to believe, to use the word believe is to be lied to. Because either it is, she would say, or it isn't. But it's certainly not separate from you. In other words, you can you can know it, and you can come to know it on deeper and deeper levels, but you never believe in it. Never believe in it. Because it's not separate from you. It's who you are. Yeah, I wanted to say that because, you know, again, if you Google Grandma Twyla, T-W-Y-L-A-H, She's written a lot of great books like The Language of the Stones. Grandma Twyla used to teach that the monolithic stones all over the earth were put there because the stone world is the library of the planet Earth. And, of course, we Europeans, with the invention of our silica, in other words, our disk that we make from melting sand and we burn light waves into them, we call that that our our DVDs and our <laughs> our films and our light wave catchers. But for the stone people all over the earth, the stone were the library of the planet. So she's there's a lot of wonderful things you can learn from Grandma Twyla. I'm I'm going to have to copy. I've been trying to keep up in the chat room with all these links. I'm going to have to copy the uh, uh, the chat room log so I can find all these links to put in our posting of the show because it's in incredible information and and that's one thing about the internet there's all kinds of information out there accurate and inaccurate so I love references from f- trusted friends well I can tell you that uh, if you google Dalai Lama and Twyla you'll find it <laughs> it's there it's certainly there, and we we talk about it twice a week here. Can we, um, we call it an everyday connection? What we call it? it an everyday connection. Well, before we let him go, there's something that I want him to talk to people about, because it was brought up actually in the last show we did, um, because that was on healing. And, and in a couple of shows that we've done, I keep talking about that connection to trees and how just being, um, just sitting still, by a tree can actually infuse you with energy. Um, but Peter has a much deeper understanding of that, and I'm wondering if he would share that with our listeners. I would be happy to share that. And I would also like to, to share it in, in the sense that it was taught to me and given to me by Grandma Twyla. Twyla taught us to put, for instance, I'll say to put our backs to an oak tree and to center our energy in our heart chakra, in our heart. We don't even have to use the word chakra, but just center the energy in in your heartbeat, in in that emotional center of your heart. And when you feel that you're centered in your heart energy, ask to be one 
with oakness. Ask to be one with that oak. And then allow your, what the Chinese call your chi field, your energy field, to expand outward. Let it, let it merge with the tree on the level of energy and light and go right up to the tips of the branches in the crown of the tree and all the way out through your feet, out to the tips of the roots in the earth. And then ask oakness to be present at the moment when oakness came to be. Because there was a moment where oak came into to being, where, when oak was created. And that is a moment that exists in light and in love. And when you practice that a little, you'll be able to do that with every species of tree. And because every species has its own gift, it has its own frequency, and the more you practice, the better you get at it. And the in the Iroquois Confederation, the hunters were taught by the healers and the shaman, both male and female, when they would go for long hunts for winter meat and they would be carrying, let's say, the hindquarters of a moose or a caribou or deer, a large deer, back 20, 30 miles to the camp, they would not only be chewing ginseng root, but they would be recharging themselves from the large trees in the forest. And they knew, depending on what type of energy they were missing, what energy they needed. And so... For everyone that's out there listening, uh, practice that. And the more you practice it, you'll be surprised what you're going to learn. It's just like learning to douse. The moment that you get out of your head and you realize that your body, which is 74% water, can sense the magnetic field that's generated by water moving in a, in a fissure, a crack under the earth, once you realize that, the more you practice it, the better and better you get at it. And, of course, in the Iroquois Confederation and in other First Nations communities, every one of them had their dowser. And every one of them could find water. And many of them, they didn't even use a forked stick. They could just sense it with, with their body. They could even get the depth of where the water was just by attuning with their body. But it's all part of that opening up to nature and in the book, The Celestine Prophecies, there's in the, I think it's the fifth or sixth prophecy, is the one that relates to trees and opening up to nature, and the fact that the more you open up to nature, the more nature opens up to you. And there's a mutual empowerment that takes place, and it's a kind of a mutual recognition that can only be done by actually doing it. So that's the gift of Twyla uh, and the learning to go into trees. And that's why on mountains you'll see a lot of oaks and white pine together. And that's why the great peacemaker chose the white pine to be the symbol of the great peace because the white pine is the transmitter. The oak is the grounder. The, the oak takes in all the, the energetical knowledge coming in from the universe and the pine retransmits it out into the web of life. So all that teaching comes from Grandma Twyla. And I'm glad you gave me the opportunity to share it with some people out there because I'm sure it'll make a lot of people happy. So if you're having any back trouble or you're low on energy, ask the oak 
to share its energy with you. If you need centering, go to the, a good old large cedar tree, white cedar or red cedar. May I ask, what is the quality of the birch? Because I'm always drawn to birch trees, the silver birch trees, since I was a little girl. Just I don't recall the quality of it, but you can be sure that in your soul, in who you are, that the frequency of birch is something that's very nourishing to you and very complementary to your energy. Where would I be able to find that out, just out of curiosity? Is there a way to find that out? Just Google? Okay. There's been a lot of work done on trees. Because a lot of your vibrational medicines and essential oils, that's what they're capturing. You know, when you do a distillate of a particular tree, whether it's a sequoia or whether it's a eucalyptus or a pine or oak, you are actually... Because the physical substance that you're concentrating is actually vibrating on a light level too and because we're you know we tend to get mixed up you know we tend to forget that we're water beings we're water creatures and light beings so the more we focus our attention on being more aware of who we are as water beings and and light beings the more things change for us because we change how we're paying attention Rick, are you there? I'm here. <laughs> I think he was mesmerized. <laughs> we call that the all factor. Actually, I was I was off somewhere with trees. Okay. That's good. <laughs> but <laughs> it's um, the female energy. I just looked it up just um, quickly, so I'm not surprised because yeah. we're back to the Marys again. Back to the <laughs> Marys Gaia. again. And, Okay, it makes Victoria. sense. Yeah. So the birch tree in Russia, they make a kind of a syrup like maple syrup out of birch tree sap. They boil it down, and they even make a beverage out of it. So it, probably the the sap of birch is very has a very feminine effect, has a good balancing. Yeah, it says it's closely aligned with the element of water, which I'm a water baby from way, way back, and Druids associated this wood with the white stag, and that's popped up several times in my journey as well. So there you go. Now I know. <laughs> I need there you go. Your birches to hang out with. <laughs> <laughs> Symbol of renewal, rebirth. Interesting. Well, a lot of that old Druid knowledge and old Celtic oh. knowledge is coming back, you know, and it, it, because many, you know, whether or not you accept reincarnation as a possibility or not is not important because every person can discover many, many things about themselves just by paying attention. So the reason that a lot of the monolithic stone stuff is coming back is because there's a lot of people around that were the people that put up Stonehenge and they put up these other monolithic stones, but they're, they're here. It's normal they're here again, and they're drawn there. That's it. Exactly. By circumstance, as much as inner... I don't think going to Egypt and some of those other things were an accident in my youth. Uh, Egypt, traveled to Egypt and Greece, and uh, 
the temples and the mounts, and it's very interesting. Well, as I said, you probably did a download. When I went to Delphi, I went to where exactly the precise point where the Delphic Oracle spoke, just to be there. Mm. Then I went to the temple down below, the Dianic Temple. We all do that. You know, everybody is, is, is naturally drawn to to do these kind of things. And, you know, later on in life, sometimes all, it's like a light bulb goes off, you know. We used to call Buckminster Fuller the, the Johnny Appleseed of ideas and inspiration because he, he, he I think he flew around the world 22 times and he addressed thousands and thousands of young people. And he, some young people who became the captains of industry, you know, were very creative entrepreneurs, but Bucky had a tremendous effect on them. That's why the Buckminster Fuller Foundation has so little trouble raising money for their Buckminster Fuller Challenge Award, which is a $100,000 grant they give out every year. Because he, he was a Johnny Appleseed of ideas, and he would go around and affect all these people. Just like Johnny Appleseed went across the whole United States planting apple trees everywhere and sharing his apple seeds with everybody and creating orchards because Johnny Appleseed created a lot of orchards. Johnny Appleseed, by the way, is one of my favorite people in American folklore. Really, really a wonderful example. I can't, can't you see that? <laughs> oh. Around giving out heirloom tomatoes, heirloom melon seeds, heirloom corn. You know, you have all these Johnny Appleseed people giving out heirloom seeds. Wow, that would make Monsanto tremble in its shoes, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. No sense in demonstrating and holding up signs. Just grow, grow a bunch of heirloom veg and, you know, the Teamsters would be upset too. No trucks to truck your stuff in. Just bring it from the yard. But can you imagine the arrogance, but the arrogance of, of, of humanity and lawyers that that they think that they have the right to put a patent on the sacred blue corn, okay? That's been passed down from generation to generation. That they have the right to say that because of my legal mumbo jumbo that I now control the gen- genome of sacred blue corn. Hello. <laughs> ah, well, people got to understand the economy of separateness says it must always grow. So they got to find something new for you to pay for. They've taken almost everything away and made us pay for it. Awful lot of people buy all of their food prepared. They don't cook. So you're paying somebody to cook. Whether you're buying it in a box or going to a restaurant, you're paying somebody to cook it. Human beings are the only, the only species on the planet who pay to live here. That's right. The only species. And there's an That's awful a lot of species. That's that people really need to to dive into for a little while and swim in that for a while and just contemplate. Is that a good idea? Yeah. How can you own something that's been here for millions of years and going to be here, hate to tell you, for millions of years after you're gone? How can you own something like that? So it's something to well, leave people thinking about. It's yeah. that separateness, the the missing ceremonies that create the connections that, you know, there was all these ceremonies involved gifts. 
we went to one of the Alaskan tribes, and we just went to their visitor center thing. But to get in the door, you could wander around. You didn't have to stay with a tour guide or something. But to get in the door, you had to walk past a fellow that gave you a, uh, oh, he gave me a little pin, like ski people put on their coats or whatever, you know, or caps. Because it was their tradition that no one, no visitor could enter their village without receiving a gift. And the connection mm-hmm. of that gratitude. Um, anyway. Caring, uh, caring. We could have you on for six, seven dozen more shows. <laughs> at least. Yeah, we'll just have to have him back because we're... Absolutely. We're- Almost out of time. Um, Peter, how can people find you if they want to learn more about your work? Just Google my name. Just Google your name. Sorry. Well, no, because... <laughs> well, if you... if Like with Donald Coxeter, I was in the, the documentary film about him, you know, playing the, the vulgarizer. In other words, the, the person that makes the highly complex stuff understandable to the ordinary person. Right. The vulgarizer. Yeah, like in that. French we say vulgarizateur, but it, it but it's nice because in English we say you're being vulgar, but it means mm. you're you're making it understandable. Because I'm a vulgar person, I can do it. Okay. <laughs> it's, I try to do that, and I like the term. I've not heard vulgarization. I'm gonna vulgarize. I like that. Yeah, I'm gonna vulgarize much more often as well. And I. Feel- I am- feel a lot better about it now. Yeah. <laughs> you vulgar person, you. Yeah, Love that vulgar. person. <laughs> Thank you for the compliment. Appreciate it. I'm glad you understand what I'm trying to explain. <laughs> so uh, we've got 100 links here in the chat room. Some mm-hmm. of them I will uh, put into the posting. Uh, well, your your audience might want to be aware of the project that Christopher Zeloff and I have have worked on and we've recruited a team to focus on lighting up the biosphere with renewable energy charged LEDs. In other words, to make the biosphere a crystalline, beautiful biosphere at night, representing Gaia and representing our planet. We can put those links in again as well. Absolutely. We have, we have those actually, I believe have all the links for that. Um, We, We do. And, uh, we do, uh, yes, and I'd love to promote it some more. The other sure. thing that, that, you know, we have a website. The The architect that I work with is a genius. He's a wonderful person, and he's created a lot of new ideas, like what he calls net zero energy food, because he's done all the calculations on how much latent energy is involved in ke- chemical agriculture. And by transforming our landscapes into edible landscapes and pushing for more and more urban agriculture, how much energy we will save and how much pollution, how much GHGs we will reduce. And the website of the architect is SP Design. So if everybody goes to spd.ca, you can spend a week in there because our the whole purpose of the website is to share empowering information with people and knowledge. Because there's a difference between knowledge, wisdom, and discernment because, you know, information is out there. Then you have the distillation process which creates the wisdom. And then you have another distillation process which creates the discernment. 
but on our website, spd.ca, that's sampeterdavid.ca. You can go on Net Zero Energy Food. You'll see that we did a design charrette there. We brought in some of the biggest experts in the world on greenhouses for growing food in cold climates and what kind of food you can grow, slow food, uh, you name it. Uh, we've got everything in there on charging your electrical car using the technology in your house. We even have information on how quickly that pays back at present gas prices. And if there's a war in the Mideast and gas prices go through the roof, how much you'll save just by using solar panels and windmills and anything else to generate electricity to charge the battery for your electrical car. So that's all on our website. So we're happy to share it with everybody out there. And I like, you know, one of the pages here it mentions at the bottom, demonstrating a viable alternative. I think for a lot of people that's all that it really takes. They're not a, they're they're just not aware. But this growing awareness, they're becoming aware that hey, wait a minute. We don't have to do it this way. And that's very good. I like when people question the status quo. Absolutely. Well, we we were very involved our architectural firm was very involved in passing the petition to force the city of Montreal's administration to have public hearings on urban agriculture. And the city required 15,000 hand-signed, no online signing, had to be signed the old way. And we got 29,000 signatures. And so now Montreal is moving full blast into modifying the city regulations to accommodate not only growing gardens on green roofs, but having more and more greenhouses, big, big greenhouses, on the roofs of buildings in Montreal, and having vertical organic greenhouses and, and gardens all over the place. Because before, all the regulations were prohibitive. You know, you couldn't do it. You couldn't do that, yeah. We're even getting to the point where we're going to get chickens back. In. I know, that's so exciting. That's, that I saw that on the news. Eggs. Chickens. In Real the- eggs. That's awesome. I think it's absolutely awesome. Uh, we're we're totally headed in the right direction, and we've got tons of exciting times ahead of us. Um, we're going to have to get you back on, Peter. Yeah, we hope you'll come back it. and talk with us some more. I thank you for inviting me. I, I really enjoyed it, and I, I love what you're doing. But don't forget to send people to look at the UN Project Sustainable Energy for All, because it's really a very positive project. You know, Ted Turner didn't give that billion dollars for nothing, you know. <laughs> That's right. We will definitely look that up, and we will make sure that the link is, is um, on our website tonight when we finally post the show. And a lot of buffalo have been saved by Ted Turner. Remember that, too. And that's important. He has one of the largest private buffalo preserves in the world, probably the largest one. Thanks, Does anybody guys. have Ted Turner's yeah. number? <laughs> <laughs> right. We Maybe he can fund the film. Out. Yeah. <clears throat> if you seek him out, you'll find him. We've we've got our fiscal sponsorship now, so that folks can also take a tax deduction, so we can throw that motivation in as well. I think we're going to do great things. But uh, I look forward to talking with you again. Thanks so much for spending your valuable time with us tonight, sir. It was a it was a pleasure, and and thanks for sharing what you guys have shared as well. Talk to you again. All right. All right. So, many blessings.
We've okay. we've run a little over time, folks. Uh, we hope you have a uh, a great weekend. Come join us again next week. We have Veronica Torres on Tuesday, uh, if I'm remembering correctly. Not going to make you wait for me to pull it all up. Uh, have a wonderful weekend. Join us again on Tuesday night. And until then, stay connected. Good night, everybody. Night night. Join Rick and Jean again next time. Until then, visit their website at everydayconnection.me and be sure to like their Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash everydayconnection. Worried you might miss an episode? Don't worry. Subscribe. Find us on iTunes by searching for Everyday Connection Radio. Subscriptions are free, just like your Everyday Connection. So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life, the only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details. So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life. The only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details.